Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and I've got another great guest for you today. He's a very busy man. He hosts two podcasts. He runs his own business. He's the founder of a university, the Future of Work University, and he's also a best-selling author. Jacob Morgan has written four best-selling books, the most recent of which is called The Future Leader. He's a regular speaker at conferences and events all over the world on leadership, employee experience, and the future of work. We had a fascinating conversation in which we covered a range of topics, including the problem with work-life balance and why Jacob prefers the phrase work-life integration, why so many people feel disengaged at work, and how we might start thinking about solving that. We chat about the current economic circumstances and whether now's a good time to take bold decisions in your career, and if so, how to go about it. We also discussed the role of mindset in developing leaders, how to build empathy and self-awareness, and the role of technology at work. I love discussing these themes and I also cover them in my book Work Life Flywheel which as you probably know by now is coming out in January so make sure you check out the link in the show notes if you want to pre-order a copy of that or indeed if you'd like to check out Jacob's work really enjoy this conversation let's jump straight in so Jacob look really nice to have you on the show today um, I wanted to start with a question related to work-life balance and, and particularly what's wrong with work-life balance in your opinion Nothing is wrong with it per se, um, but I think the way that we traditionally think about work-life balance is a little off. Uh, traditionally, work-life balance meant nine to five work and anything before nine or after five is personal. That version of work-life balance I don't think exists for most people in the world. But work-life balance as a concept, meaning that I am not letting work take over my life and that I still am able to have a life outside of work is important. And I think that's why a lot of the conversation has shifted now towards this concept of work-life integration. So I'm a big believer in balance, right? I mean, I have two kids. I have a wife. We have a home office. And my wife and I literally work a couple feet away from each other. We share this studio that we're in. But at the same time, um, when our kids are around, when it's the weekend, we spend time with family, we're present with our kids, we have dinner together as a family. Does that mean that we work nine to five? No, we work all sorts of we weird hours, sometimes in mm. the evenings, sometimes early in the mornings. But we have balance in the sense that we are with our family. We are present. We do things as a family that 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 matter to us, and that's what I think work life balance should be about. And again, that's why we call it work life integration in a lot of different spaces. Yeah, I think there's a couple of issues with work work life balance for me. I mean, one is simply the expectation that many people feel that they should be able to achieve this perfect balance when. In reality, yeah. the perfect balance doesn't actually exist. And I think you've there's an interesting report done by Deloitte um, recently, which showed women in particular have suffered from this over the yep. last couple of years because very often as primary caregivers, they're the ones that have to adapt and have to find in other people's yes. eyes this perfect balance. And so there's the undue pressure. So that's one thing. But the other, I think the main thing for me is just, for me, puts these two things in opposition. And actually, I don't think necessarily that they yeah. need to me. I, I mean, I personally prefer to think that they can work well together. You know, when I'm happy at home, Absolutely. I better work and vice versa. Yeah. That's yes. why I think a lot of this concept uh, or the conversations around the integration are, are coming up. Mm. Look, I, I think at the end of the day, whatever somebody chooses to call it is irrelevant. 
the point is that we are seeing a blurring of work and life, which is what yeah. a lot of people are experiencing. But with that blurring means that you also do need to be able to create certain boundaries because you need to be able to, to, to turn off technology. You need to understand that technology doesn't mean availability. You need to be able to say no when it becomes too much. I mean, if you're doing nine, 10 o'clock meetings, missing dinner with family, you're not seeing your kids because work has crept that much into your life, um, that's a problem. Mm. So whatever you want to call it, the idea is the blurring is happening and we are trying to make that that blurring work so that we can succeed in both aspects of, of, of how we exist, the work yeah. aspect and the life aspect. 100%, yeah. Uh, so just to follow on from some of the points there, so you've just had Jen Moss on the program and Jen yes. on this podcast as well, and you were discussing burnout and also this sort of phenomenon or certainly the rise of quiet quitting. So what's your take on these subjects? Do you think the average business is taking it seriously enough or are they coming around to the fact that this is a serious problem? I see two two sides um, and, and I've, I've heard people argue two sides. So the one side of it is that employees are going through this process of quiet quitting because they are a part of organizations where they're doing, and I won't curse on the show, I don't know if that's allowed, but they're doing BS work and they're working for... Uh, leaders who are basically sucking the life out of them. And as a result of these toxic and bad environments, that is why they are quiet quitting. Mm. I've also heard the exact opposite perspective where when you talk about quiet quitting, some of the leaders are like, are you, are you nuts? You're telling me that you're going to show up to work when I'm paying you and I'm paying for benefits and I'm doing all these things for you. And you're going to put in the bare minimum of work, like get the hell out of my company. So you see kind of anger and frustration on one side. And you also see a little bit of that anger and frustration on the other side. And so it becomes, well, who's right? And I think there are certainly, and so I don't think there's a gray area, right? I do think there are certainly a lot of situations where for many, many years, employees have felt like they're being taken advantage of. Um, where they didn't feel like they're being recognized, they're not being compensated uh, fairly, uh, they're not growing and learning in any way. And so they have just decided like, look, if my company is going to treat me like garbage and my leaders are going to treat me like garbage, then why should I give more effort and more time and attention and focus to this kind of an organization that doesn't appreciate me? So I do think that certainly exists. On the other hand, I do think there are also situations where employees are taking advantage of that. And when leaders are getting frustrated and they're saying, look, you know, we've done everything that, we've can, that, that we could. You asked for flexible work. We gave you flexible work. You asked for doing X, Y, Z. We're providing all these things for you. We're creating these environments where you feel like you can show up and thrive. And now you're telling me that you're just going to disengage and put in the, mere, the bare minimum? You're like, who the hell are you? Mm. So I think all of those different types of situations are existing. And, you know, quiet quitting is, you know, it's, it's a new term, obviously, but the concept has been around for many, many years. It's what we used to call employees who are just not engaged, right? They're disengaged at work. And so they're still there, but they're basically there to take a paycheck. Yeah. Um, and so there's, it's just a whole spectrum of all sorts of different situations that are happening. It's, um, a new term, but something that I think has been around in organizations for decades. 
it's hard to say that it's always the company's fault, right? It's hard to say that it's always because of a bad leader. It's always a toxic culture. It's always this. It's always that. We don't know. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of different situations that we need to be considering. Yeah. Yeah, engagement and certainly the sort of numbers reported around. And of course, these are averages as well. And sometimes they can be skewed by um, by poor poor organizations at yes. scale. You know, there's a lot of smaller and medium-sized companies which have far more engaged staff. But when you do the averages, it can distort the numbers. Yeah. But it can be frightening, actually, how poor yeah. those numbers are. Um, yeah. I mean, I suppose related to that, these quiet quitting things kind of come off the back of huge changes in the workplace over the past couple of years caused by covid and various lockdowns and of course off riding off what has been a pretty good economy for many many years and things right now aren't looking used to be i remember those days yeah i mean well you should you should be in the uk right now oh i heard yeah yeah uh, all sorts of madness going on over there yeah, so we were, the day we're recording, we've just lost another prime minister. So, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But but I, I suppose sort of looking at it from that context, right? So people are reconsidering what they want to do. And it's all very well quite quitting. But let's, you know, actually taking action um, on their career. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's one thing which is apathy. But actually the opposite is making bold moves and big changes. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is now a good time to make a bold move in your career or do you really need to be mindful that the economic mm-hmm. conditions are going to put pressure on jobs? Well, and so building on that one, um, the previous point, so I forgot to mention, so I have a team of 12 people and I can tell you that somebody who's running a business, if I had people on my team who were doing the bare minimum to get by, I would be upset. Yeah. I would. Right. I mean, I'm trying to build a business. I'm trying to grow and do things. I have companies that I work with. I expect everybody on my team to care. Maybe not Mm. as much as me because it's my business, but I want everybody to do a great job because I create a lot of content. I put myself out there. I work with a lot of um, organizations, write books. And so if people on my team are not able to do a great job, it reflects on me because it's ultimately my face and my content that goes out there. Mm. Now, if I know, if I knew that that was happening, of course, the first thing that I would say, I wouldn't say, Oh my God, how dare you? What's going, you know, why would you do this? I would say, is everything okay? And I have done this in the past and I have talked to members of my team and by asking them, is everything okay? They share what's going on. You know, I'm sorry. I have a sick kid. I'm sorry. My dad has been ill. Uh, you know, we had a huge storm here and I, you know, my, my house flooded for the past few weeks. So I, I ask, right. I, we should never as leaders assume that something bad is happening because people are purposely trying to hurt you. There are oftentimes situational things and things that people are going through in their lives where as a leader, if you don't have that curiosity and you don't have that inquiry, you're never going to know. So that is my first step, right? Is everything okay? right? You know, usually this doesn't happen. I just want to make sure everything's okay. So I think that's step one. However, if I did have somebody on my team who would just keep showing up and they're just not, and by the way, I've, I've, I've worked with people like this before. Um, and unfortunately they end up leaving the team just mm-hmm. because for whatever reason, I can tell that they're quote unquote, phoning it in. They're just not engaged. Either 
They're not connecting with the work that I'm that we're doing. They're not interested in it, whatever the reason is. And I make my best effort to find out if there's something that I can do. But at a certain point, um, it is worth acknowledging that it's not always a good fit and that's okay. So that's that's the way I approach it, right? I would be upset and I do get upset if people on my team consistently show up and they are not able to perform as any leader should be. But I think it's important to understand why. And that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, so in regards to your second question about making bold moves, it's always important to consider making bold moves, regardless of, of what the economic environment looks like. I mean, a lot of very successful companies, I just interviewed the CEO of Fortune Media, Alan Murray, on my podcast. Um, and, and that organization started during an economic downturn. Right? I mean, that company, I think, is 100 or over 100 years old, somewhere around there. And it started, you know, during the Depression, I believe, right, when things were miserable. And several organizations have blossomed and have grown during times of difficulty and economic uncertainty. Mm. So I do think you should be aware of the macro environments that are around you, but I don't think that, I, I think you should always be considering making bold moves, but you should make them wisely, right? I mean, you should yeah. consider like if I'm, if I have a full-time job right now and I have benefits and I have a family and I have kids and I keep hearing about the recession and how the economy is going down, is now the perfect time for me to quit my full-time job, right? I mean, it, it depends on the situation and the scenario that you're in. So it's very yeah. hard to kind of make it like a blanket statement, but I do believe that everybody should always be thinking of bold moves and things they can do and how they can innovate. But sometimes you can also do these things inside of your organization as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, hopefully that, that answers the question. Basically, don't do anything stupid that would jeopardize yeah. you, your family, your career, anything like yeah. that. Obviously, if you're earlier, uh, younger in your career, like when I was in my early 20s, uh, I had a full-time job and one day I lived in Los Angeles. I decided I wanted to move to the Bay Area. I threw all my clothes in my car and I drove up to San Francisco. I found a job here and I spent the last 15 years in the Bay Area. Mm, yeah. Right? I mean, would I do that now? No, because now I actually moved back to LA, but I have two kids. I have two dogs. I have a mortgage. I have car payments. Would yeah. I do that now? No, it's stupid. So you have to pay attention to the stage of life that you're in as well and what's going on and, and how that is going to influence and impact the decisions that you make. Yeah. And, and as you say, there's a spectrum. And at one end is sitting still and doing nothing. And at the other end is quitting your job and taking a significant risk. And then somewhere in between is probably where you want to be. And probably the thing about it, it's calculated risks, isn't it? And that doesn't necessarily mean quitting. It could be putting yourself out there by starting to share your ideas online, you know, yeah. um, starting some sort of side project yeah, and getting start. it going. I mean, these, these are, you've, got to be, you've got to be bold and it doesn't mean just quitting your job, but it means doing something new. And I think that, that you're right. You've got to be thinking in those terms all the time. Yeah, look, I mean, you have 24 hours a day, right? I mean, if you work eight hours, uh, eight hours a day, um, if you want to build something on the side for maybe two hours a day, watch less TV, then go for it. And if you start mm. to see a lot of success and growth in that and it starts to generate revenue, then you can transition more and more and more. Um, yeah. But be smart about things is always my best piece of advice, right? Like don't, you know, and have open communication with your spouse, your significant other, right? Don't just show up at home one day and say, Hey honey, I'm just, I quit my job today. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> I hope you have money for the mortgage. I get, that's not a good approach. 
No. So you you mentioned there, you are incredibly prolific with the content you create. You've got various different strands to the work that you do. Um, I'm interested how you keep track of all of it, how you sort of track your progress in different areas. I mean, do you journal? Do you sort of take time out to reflect? Are you kind of looking at these things in isolation or do you tend to just look at it as a whole? Yeah, I don't do any journaling. Um, it's funny because I know there are a lot of different practices that people implement. I don't do most of them. Um, I have started meditating recently, which I found to be very helpful. I, I do reflect, uh, but I do more reflection. Sometimes it's self-reflection on things that I'm grateful for, just, you know, appreciating the things that I have. A lot of it is also reflection with my wife. So, um, at night, we used to watch shows. I mean, we still watch a, um, a show or something at night, but we also make time every night to talk about how we're feeling. And so that's been a very important reflective exercise. Like, how was your day? How are you feeling? Like, actually feeling, not saying good or stressed, but yeah. you know, trying to get a little bit deeper and, and, and talk about that. Uh, so that's been very important. But as far as keeping track of things, I mean, I do very basic stuff, right? I mean, I, I'm pretty good at mentally organizing. So it doesn't work for everybody, but I have a lot kind of just in my mind. And frequently, even when I'm talking with my team and getting updates about projects, they're like, Oh, how did you even remember that? Like I, Mm -hmm. I know just different things in my mind just because I'm so involved with all the different aspects of the business. But um, I mean, we keep, we, we use Asana to keep track of things. We do weekly calls and updates. Uh, So I I stay on top of everything in, in that regard. And in that way, I meet with my social media um, manager every week, or I'm sorry, every two weeks. And we look at stats and content and how things are performing. We test new things out. So there's a lot of that involved in there too. But Mm. I tend to focus on high level metrics, right? I'm not looking at like the details of every single number because ultimately that you could just go nuts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. I want to talk about a few of the repeated issues which come up in many conversations I have with businesses, and I'm certain that they do with you. And I think particularly around leadership and this sort of general adaptation that leaders are having to make as work mm-hmm. has changed. Um, and I think particularly it's most it's most obvious with middle management. Nobody aspires to be a middle manager necessarily anymore, but of course they're the heartbeat of most organizations and they're often the people who have taken the brunt of having Mm -hmm. to adapt and adjust and support people through these new ways of working. So I'm just interested, we sort of look at, I suppose, broadly as leadership and skills related to leadership as a key theme in the workplace now. You talk about four mindsets of, of future leaders. How can that help us frame some of the skills that leaders should be thinking about developing in the in kind of modern workplace. Yeah, and you actually bring up a, um, a good point, which is, and I don't think it's, it's talked about that much, is that to be, to be a leader now is, is hard. Uh, to be a mid-level leader, I think, is ultimately the hardest. And it's, it's for a few reasons, right? When you're an individual contributor inside of an organization, you're ultimately focused on the task that you're doing. Um, so whatever that task is, your job is really just to make sure that you have competency and proficiency in accomplishing that task. If you're a top executive at the organization, then it's kind of like, well, you know, I've made it. I'm focusing on the vision. I'm focusing on, uh, you know, doing a lot of the public stuff. I have a board. I have my peers around me who are really good at different aspects. But if you're a mid-level leader, those are the people who are ultimately responsible for making the stuff happen, right? These are the people who are responsible for 
um, motivating and inspiring the people who are doing the task, right? This, this I think is the most challenging job. This is the, the machine. This is ultimately the business, right? It comes mm. down to the mid-level leaders. So they have enormous pressure and enormous responsibility because they can't just focus on a task and they are not focusing always on kind of the big picture. They're focusing more on the work and making sure the work gets done, which can be a very challenging thing. Now, it's not to say that top executives aren't important. They are. But look, let's be honest, right? I mean, most of their time is not spent understanding the aspects of, of how the business necessarily operates and runs. They have their um, their peers, other members on the C-suite who, who, who do that. Um, so the four mindsets that I talk about, they're actually relevant for, for any leader, whether you are a mid-level leader, whether you're a top executive, or even if you're an individual contributor wanting to become uh, a leader inside of an organization. Uh, and the four mindsets that I talk about are the global citizen, uh, which is about thinking big picture and surrounding yourself by people who are not like you. The mindset of the servant, which is about having humility and vulnerability, but also understanding that as a leader, your responsibility is to serve your team, to serve your customers, to serve your leaders if you have them, and also to serve yourself by practicing um, self-care. Uh, then I have the mindset of the chef. Did I say mindset? Mindset of the chef, which is about uh, balancing two ingredients, which are technology and humanity. And lastly, the mindset of the explorer, which is really about having a growth mindset, being agile and nimble uh, in in how you think. Mm. And how do you find people respond to those ideas? Do they sort of see themselves fitting into one of those categories and thinking, well, actually, I need to adopt some of the mindsets of the others? Or is it sort of a framework that you might take within a sort of training aspect to say to people within an organization, actually, that here's ways that you can actually understand the people that are working for you. Maybe they sit into these different categories. I'm wondering how people have applied that, those insights in the organizations you've worked with. Yeah, it's, it's all of the above. Right. Um, I think part of the challenge is that we don't take a step back oftentimes as leaders to understand and think about what is it that we need to know how to do and how should we be thinking to focus on success, both mm. on individual success, on team success and success as a part uh, from an organizational perspective. And so these mindsets are really designed for leaders to take a step back and say, is this stuff that I'm doing? When I'm building a team, am I making sure that the team is comprised of people from diverse backgrounds and perspectives and ideas? When I'm making a strategic decision, am I looking at just what's right in front of me or am I looking at the big picture to see how that influences what that decision might be like? Um, what am I doing to serve my team? Am I recognizing them? Am I rewarding them? Am I letting them feel valued and heard um, with technology? Am, am I implementing too much technology? Not enough? How am I making sure the organization or my team stays human and that we focus on, on, on doing good? Uh, and the explorer mindset, right? When I'm faced with a challenge or with an obstacle, what is my thinking process like? Do I have a growth mindset where I view this as something that I can overcome? Or do I view this as something that is going to define me and basically shut, uh, shut a door in front of me? So yeah. it's really about kind of reflecting as a leader day to day, are these mindsets making their way into your, your operating system, so to speak, yeah. right? Um, and if you don't take time to think about that stuff, the answer is obviously no. But we're all busy, right? And oftentimes we run from one meeting to next meeting, one me uh, email to the next email. We're fighting fires. We're uh, yelling at people. We're arguing with people. We're... 
and you don't take a step back and realize like, hey, wait a minute, like everyone on my team looks like me and they just keep agreeing with everything that I say. Is right that really the best way to create a new product or service? Mm-hmm. Or right? I mean, so when you take a step back and understand that these are the mindsets that you should be implementing, then you can be more reflective about that and say, is this what's going on during the day? Like, do I have these mindsets happening? And if not, what can I do about them? Yeah, now you've got some um, really nice metaphors and ideas in your work. I love it. Maybe one more I could just uh, put to you, which is what can Yoda from Star Wars teach us about leadership? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Um, so I'm working on a new book, which will come out uh, towards the end of next year on leadership and vulnerability. And the idea from that came from doing these 140 CEO interviews for my my book, The Future Leader, which is my most recent book that came out, I think, a year or two ago. Um, and I kept seeing these conversations of vulnerability come up, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and stuff like that. And so Yoda is really about emotional intelligence. It's about empathy and self-awareness. Uh, and empathy is about being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and understand their perspective. And self-awareness is understanding your your thoughts, your feelings, your motivations and desires, and also the impact that you have on other people and how other people might perceive you. So those are very, very important qualities for, for leaders to have because oftentimes you show up, you act, you behave a certain way, and you don't realize how other people might perceive you or view you. Or you might think that you're really great at something when the reality is that you're not. And if you don't have that self-reflection, that humility, that vulnerability to take a step back to find out if that's the case, then you're never going to learn and you're never going to grow or improve. So empathy and self-awareness, I think, are really important pillars um, for, for growth, for learning and for development for leaders. Yeah, and that's the sort of human side. Um, and before you mentioned the consideration about whether you're using too much technology or not enough technology. And yep. clearly technology is just becoming a, a greater and greater part of our lives now. And, and I think I've, I've read something you wrote which said that technology has a 30% effect roughly on the experience of employees at work. Yes. So with that in mind, I wonder whether you might – Tell us from your point of view, which are the most overvalued or undervalued technologies out there right now? Oh my goodness, undervalued and overvalued. So um, just to give people some context, uh, so this was from a book I wrote on employee experience where I looked at how do you create organizations where people actually want to show up? Um, and that was a book called The Employee Experience Advantage. And I uh, identified three environments that shape all employee experiences. Technology is 30%, space is 30%, and culture is 40%. Um, so as far as the technologies that are undervalued, over, uh, overvalued, um, so from a, from a high level perspective, I think that there's been a lot, so it's hard to say there are technologies that I'm very interested in, but I think are still not making the impact inside of organizations that we thought they would make. Um, so one of those are being augmented in virtual reality. Um, another one being artificial intelligence. Again, it's not to say that these things are not making an impact, just not at the scale, right? I mean, remember IBM's Watson, right? Everybody thought IBM Watson is going to put uh, so many people out of jobs. It's really good at reading um, x-rays. Radiologists aren't going to have any place to work anymore. And I think last I heard, IBM Watson was basically chopped apart and, and sold for parts somewhere and it kind mm. of disappeared. So the AI conversation, I feel like, has kind of taken um, a backseat just in general, I feel like a lot of the conversations that we were having three to five years ago around technologies 
have taken a little bit of a backseat, right? I mean, the greatest technology now that we're talking about that is underutilized is the technology of being human. And I think the last few years have really put the emphasis on that. So yeah. we, I mean, we talked about things like AI and automation, and we talked about things like blockchain and augmented and virtual reality and all these things for years. And the idea was, okay, by 2022, 2020, right? They're going to have this huge impact. And they're, they're making inroads, but not to the extent that I think a lot of people thought they were going to. Mm. So it's hard to say undervalued, overvalued. I, I think that um, they're relevant. They just haven't reached their potential yet, but I think they will over the coming years. Yeah. Um, so all the technologies are important. Like it's hard to pick a technology that like you shouldn't pay attention to. Of course, you need to be paying attention to blockchain that has a lot of potential to disrupt businesses. So does automation and artificial intelligence. Like all these things have potential, but they are not there yet. Yeah. Well, I think you hit on something there as well, which is I think when at their best, the technologies um, which really make a difference are those which uh, augment the human experience in some way and that human aspect. So yeah. yeah, we can apply machine learning to understand better the types of things which put us in flow or the sort of situations which enhance creativity. You can see that those can make a material difference to, to Yeah, to and, and there's been some pretty cool stuff happening, right? But it's not mainstream. So I, yeah. that's an important distinction that I want people to understand it's not that these things don't exist, but they are not there to the point where it's being adopted in mass inside of organizations. Yeah. But yeah, there, there are a lot of cool platforms and startups that are coming out that help you figure out when you're stressed, when you're not, what helps you feel most creative, what helps you feel in a sense of flow? How do you measure that? How do you create teams? How do you, mm. right? So there are platforms and things out there that are starting to experiment with this, but nothing to the point, like you're not going to talk to one of your peers tomorrow and say, Hey, how's it going? Oh, great. You know, we got this piece of AI and it's like doing all like, I'm, it's my, <laughs> my coworker. It's not at that point yet. Yeah. It's still very much on the fringes, but my hope is that after a lot of these things get fine tuned and figured out, um, we'll really get a chance to focus more on the things that make us human at work and let technology take care of a lot of the mundane jobs we don't enjoy. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the truth is many of us are still getting used to just being able to interact like we are right now. It's through, through a video. Yeah. Call. The yeah. human, um, being human at work has taken center stage, mm. um, away from any technology discussions. Um, so I think that that's where a lot of the conversations are. How do we make the organizations more human? How do we focus on people and put them first? Um, which I think is a good thing. That's the right yeah. technology. That's the right conversation that we should be having. Definitely. Well, uh, really interesting to hear your thoughts on organizations. I, I've got one more question related specifically to you, actually. I'm just interested in how you think about your career. So you described there you've got 12 people working with you. It sounds to me like you're doing the things you enjoy. You're getting to spend time with your wife and your family. So, I mean, what, how do you think about the future? Do you have a plan for what you want to be doing in 10 years' time? Do you have a specific picture of how you'll be spending your days? Or do you tend to focus on shorter time horizons? Yeah, I don't tend to look that far out. Um, you know, my wife always reminds me, she says, be where your feet are. Hmm. Uh, so sometimes even if I'm talking about the future, like next week, like what are we going to do next week? Or, you know, should we go to dinner next week? She'll say, Jacob, just be where your feet are. <laughs> so that's something that I really try to do is just be where my feet are. 
Um, It's not to say that I don't imagine or think about things in the future, but it's very, it's not concrete, right? I mean, in the future, I imagine probably writing more books, doing more speaking, um, building out my team. Like, like it's, it's just very abstract, right? It's very hard uh, as a human being to think about the future because your future is based very much on the present and the present that I know is doing those things. So I just kind of extrapolate that out five, 10 years. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man, 10 years in the future, I'm going to be, uh, 50 years old. So that's terrifying. Thank you for that visual. Um, so no, I mean, probably honestly doing a lot of what I'm doing now because that's what I have fun, uh, doing, but I'm trying very much to be in, in the present and where my feet are. Well, that's a, that is a good sign. I actually, um, Funny enough, just before we started recording, you mentioned you've just spoken to Marshall Goldsmith. And um, coincidentally, I wrote a my newsletter this morning and referenced Marshall Goldsmith and the uh-huh. question that he might maybe he's posed to you uh, at some point as well, which is if you're given a gift and you're you know, 95 years old lying in your deathbed and you get to give the you of now advice on how you should be spending your time. It sounds to me that um, you're spending your time in a, in a way which you can conceive of doing in the future, which in and of itself sounds like you've nailed it. So congratulations. Fine, right? I mean, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly not going to say that everything I do is perfect, right? I struggle with a lot of the same things that everybody else struggles with, right? Turning off mm. technology, putting work down, especially when you run a business, even if it's a small business like mine, they're still like, oh, you know, I have free time. I should be working. So I do struggle with a lot of those same thing, things as far as making time for personal time, going on date nights, like trying to prioritize these things and be more present. It's, it's not easy, mm. um, but it's something that I'm working on doing. And I hope that over the year that, you know, the, the weeks, months, years that I get even, um, even better and better at that. Yeah. Well, uh, really appreciate your time. And is there anything else you want to leave us with before we, before we wrap up today? I think we covered a lot. Uh, Probably the best piece of advice is uh, if you don't think about and plan for the future of work, then you're not going to have a future. So don't let the world dictate things for you. Be an active participant in in shaping and designing what the future looks like uh, for yourself. Well, Jacob, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And that was my conversation with Jacob Morgan. Thanks to Jacob for his time. If you want to find out more about him, his businesses and his books, there are a link in the show notes. Thanks as ever for joining me and I'll see you here again soon.